Thank you, church. Come on, be honest. Did you feel like dancing this morning? Wow. Those songs were just inspiring. Thanks, team. That was fantastic. And uh, thank you all for braving the elements. You know, you live in Colorado and you get spoiled. I mean, it, it, it starts to snow like it's winter and you think, wow, this is unusual. It's winter. And of course, the folks in northern Maine would say, that's not snow. <laughs> you want snow? We'll show you snow. Well, I learned from my wife this week that our two-year-old daughter, uh, daughter, excuse me, two-year-old granddaughter, I can't speak. Our, our two-year-old granddaughter, one of four two-year-olds, as you recall, she has an imaginary friend. And her imaginary friend, her, the, the name is, is Koopy. Koopy. Yeah. And I'm told that Koopy has pink hair. Sometimes blue, but mostly pink. And she wears a yellow dress. Now, Koopy and my granddaughter, Leo, have conversations together that sound a whole lot like the conversations that Leo has with her mother. Things like, Koopy, there are consequences for running into the street without looking. Koopy, you cannot use that tone of voice with me. Can you say control? <laughs> Poor little kid. I mean, that's human nature coming through in a two-year-old. You know, she can't control anyone or anything in her life as a two-year-old. She tries. Oh, does she try. But Koopy, Koopy, she can control. So, my friends, I want you to use your imagination this morning, okay? You don't need to create Koopy. Uh, pink hair, yellow dress, not necessary. Although, the story's going to get wild. But I want you to imagine, okay? You, as a follower of Jesus... You're going to be present in one of the stories in Mark 5 this morning, a story that, that I think is all about control. You up for it? All right. Okay. I want you to imagine that you are in a fishing boat this morning with Jesus. And you are finally approaching the shore after a very long night. A night in which you crossed the Sea of Galilee and a storm just seemed to explode out of nowhere. And you were certain that you were going to die. Now Jesus, your master, was asleep in the boat. When the storm blew up, he continued to sleep as the storm got worse and worse. And you woke him with, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And you remember what Jesus did? He got up and rather matter-of-factly told the wind and the waves to be quiet. And they did. And that pretty much terrified you. 
Because you realized in that moment that you really don't know this man, Jesus. And now you can't stop thinking about the two questions that he asked you at that moment. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So, this morning, finally, the boat has just pushed up to shore in a region known as the Gerasenes. And as you get off the boat, a man appears. He's coming from some caves over at the bottom of the hills, which are probably tombs, and he is a nasty-looking character. Well, for starters, he's naked, buck naked. And he is moaning and he is crying out loudly and you're not really sure what it is that he's saying. But he's cutting himself with sharp stones so there's blood that's running on his body and he looks fierce. And when he sees Jesus, he starts running towards him. And he falls on his knees right in front of him. And Jesus says, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And when he said that, the man shouted. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And then he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Okay. Disciples of Jesus. I want you to just take a quiet minute here. And think about what you've just experienced. Your feelings. Your thoughts. About this scene that has just unfolded before you. That is exactly where my heart goes. Yeah. Thank you. I'm not alone. <laughs> or so Hollywood wants us to think. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that question that Jesus asked them in the boat, why are you so afraid? I imagine the disciples going back to that question in their minds at this moment. They're thinking something like, it's because of this kind of thing we're afraid, Jesus. Following you is not at all what we were expecting. In fact, it's dangerous. John the Baptist is in prison. The authorities hate you and we're guilty by association. We almost drowned a few hours ago and now we're face to face with a man possessed by a legion of demons in this awful place. By the way, what are we doing here anyway? To follow Jesus. To really follow Jesus is not what we think. And again, we are reminded that Jesus came announcing the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the good news. The good news as we know that God has, has broken into human history as never before. 
in the form of His Son, the God-man, offering new life for all who repent and follow Jesus. And I think, if you're like me, sometimes I'm so familiar with that truth <clears throat> that, that I need a story like this to remind me that Jesus was rocking the proverbial boat as the storm had been rocking the boat that they thought they were going to die in. Repent and follow Jesus. Good news for all who, who will change their thinking about God and themselves and embrace the values of the kingdom of God. And, and I think this story reminds us of, of what we are up against as followers of Jesus because we have said all along that good news is not good news to everyone. It's not good news to the powers of darkness and those in our world whom control, they want to, to control. So, so the pushback to the news of the kingdom of God is real. It's ugly. And it's destructive. Because it threatens the kingdom of darkness that has a stronghold on our world. And I think Mark, by inspiration of God's Spirit included this story in his record of Jesus' life for precisely that reason. The original followers of Jesus needed to see what they were up against. And followers of Jesus for decades and centuries after who would read the story, we would be given a vivid reminder of two really important truths. The destructive power of evil. If we don't think that evil is destructive, then we don't really understand evil. It is the nature of evil to live in a contrary manner to the character of God. To the will of God as He has revealed it to us in His Word and in His Son. Evil wants nothing of that. And so this story reminds us of the destructive power of evil and it also reminds us of the victorious, restorative power of Jesus. Oh, yes, hallelujah. No matter how ominous the evil might be, no matter how dark, no matter how powerful, scary, Jesus has the victory, and Jesus brings restoration of the beauty that evil seeks to destroy. that, I think, is what this story is about. So we're going we're gonna to read the rest of the story together. Can we do that? Let's stand and, and let's read the rest of this story from, from Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> so the uh, so legion has, has begged Jesus not to send them out of the area. And here's what comes next. Together. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened.
When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Wow! My sisters and my brothers, what a story. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. That is just a remarkable story. A couple of years before his death, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia explained his beliefs about the reality of the devil in an interview with New York Magazine. It came after mentioning his belief in a real heaven and hell, and then he interjected, I even believe in the devil. The interviewer asked, you do? Of course, yeah, he's a real person. The interviewer asked, have you seen evidence of the devil lately? You know, it's curious, answered, answered uh, Mr. Scalia. It is curious that in the Gospels, the devil is doing all sorts of things. He's, he's making pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and whatnot. That doesn't seem to happen very much anymore. It's because he's smart. The interviewer says, so what's he doing now? What he's doing now is getting people not to believe in him or in God. He's much more successful that way, I think. I mean, come on. That's the explanation, isn't it, for why there's not more demonic possession all over the place? That has always puzzled me. What happened to the devil, you know? He used to be all over the place. He used to be all over the New Testament. What happened to him? And then he says, he got wilier. He got wilier. So, let's put the next screen up, Karen. You just read this part of the text. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported what had happened. Folks came out to see Jesus. They saw the man sitting there, fully restored. And they were afraid. Oh, yes, and those who had seen it mentioned pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So, turn to a neighbor and ask them, why do you think the people responded this way? How does it, how does it make you feel about the people? Okay. A lot of conversation going on here. Let's, let's talk about it with one another for just a bit. What do you think? Why, why do the people respond this way? Because they're dumb, right? 
Because they lost their livelihood, okay? Well, Sixie? Okay. You know, I heard a, turn, a change theory person say one time, you know, it's not so much that people don't like change, it's that they don't like what they lose when change happens. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It's challenging to do anything other. And what is Jesus calling people to do? To repent. Repent means to change. Move in a different direction. Think differently about God yourself, and others. Kirsten, one life versus a couple thousand pigs. Oh. <laughs> Buck up, right? Buck up as a follower. I, and and you, you've, you've touched on it. Many of you, I think the point of the story is this. And Kirsten, you, you led right into this. The people who came from the town and maybe surrounding countryside as, as news was traveling, they came to see what happened. They forgot something that is just supremely important. This scary, uncontrollable, demon-possessed, crazy man was a human being. He was a human being. He was desperately broken. He was a mess. He was scary as could be. But he was a human being. And when we read the scriptures, we read that Christ died for broken human beings. Ah! This man is maybe an extreme example of, of just how broken broken is. But I also think that, that perhaps the most important line in the story is, is the very first one that Mark starts the chapter with. He writes that Jesus and his disciples went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. I hear that sentence as I read it, in the same way that I, I hear that sentence in John chapter 4, where John writes that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And we know as we read the story, well, it's because there was a woman there at a well in the town of Sychar, and Jesus intended to have a conversation with that woman that would change her life. Same idea here as the disciples in John's account of that story are thinking, why on earth are we going through Samaria? I hate Samaritans. Same kind of thing here. There was a crazy, possessed man whose life was precious to Jesus. And Jesus, as we know, was on a mission. And what a teachable moment it would be for his followers. In that ancient world, the sea was often considered to be the habitat of demons and ghosts. So they've just endured this fierce storm in a place that they already fear dreadfully, only to make it off the boat in a place where they would not choose to go. 
We don't know a lot about the region of the Gerasenes, but as, as Lee pointed out earlier, we, we do know that there were a lot of Gentiles in that region. A lot of Gentiles. Obviously, when you consider the size of the herd of pigs that was there. And then, of course, there's the crazy man. <laughs> as Dixie alluded to, could it get any worse? Well, Welcome to the life of following Jesus. And since we too are followers of Jesus, let's make some observations from this story that I, I think, I hope, prayerfully so, apply to our lives as well. First observation is this. Jesus does not hesitate to engage the evil that has wreaked havoc on this man's life. He asks for a name and is given a number instead. Legion represents the number in a Roman regiment consisting of 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. That was enough to drive 2,000 pigs crazy living in this human being. Also in the ancient world, it was, it was often believed that if, if a person knew the name of a stranger who they had not met, it, it meant sometimes that they must have some kind of power over them. Do you notice the demons, the man cries out, thanks to Sam, what do you want of me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? They identify who Jesus is. Ancient cultures would have assigned the idea that, well, they knew who this Jesus was, so they must have power over him. Some commentators understand that as the demons naming Jesus, suggesting something like, oh, we know who you are, Jesus. And we've got this situation under control because there's a lot of us. But the point of the story is that they are no match for Jesus. Period. No discussion. No match. And though the disciples, the Jewish disciples, were probably quite thrilled at the death of all those pigs, you know, we, are, we are left to wonder if that is the end of them or if they will show up somewhere else Jesus doesn't give us an answer. But the point of the story is that they were no match for Jesus. Are we willing to take a stand against evil in the name and the power of Jesus? To take a stand against what we perceive as evil in our own power is foolishness. But to be willing to take a stand against things that are evil in the spirit of Christ with humility and with dependence upon God and, and for us as fallen human beings with no sense of self-righteousness but with 
a yearning to see those who are enslaved by the evil be set free because they are loved by God. Jesus, second observation, Jesus engages the evil for what it is not. Jesus engages the evil for what it is not. It is not the man. The man is not evil. Although the disciples would have said, oh yes he is. And anybody else who was watching, and the townspeople, and the folks in the countryside. Are you kidding? Guys as evil as they get. Jesus addresses the evil in the man because he is oppressed and obviously possessed by evil. And I'm struck by the fact that he does not ask the man, well, how in the world did you get this way? He he makes no suggestion that this is the result of ABC actions. You hadn't done this, you wouldn't be this. What have you done in your life that opened the door to this disaster? Jesus does not ask that because he knows there is evil in the world and it is out to destroy the beauty of humanity any way that it can. And so the challenge I think we meet at this point is do we see people as as evil? Or do we see them as influenced and controlled by evil, but human beings that are precious to God? Those are two things that are pretty tough to hold in balance. Are they not? And another important question to ask, I think, is, where would I be if not for the grace of God in my life? Where would I be? Do I see everything that has molded and shaped my life and brought me to the present as as evidence of God's grace? Why have I turned out this way versus being like the people who I tend to assign to the category of evil? C.S. Lewis, talking about this story in his book, Surprised by Joy, He recalls the imagery of the story in describing his life before his conversion and he says it was as a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion, says Lewis. So impacted by the life-changing grace of God. My brothers and sisters, I think that an understanding of grace, I'm I'm preaching right here to this person this morning, is going to move us toward a redemptive love and action for those whose lives are ravaged by the effects of sin and evil. And here's the thing. And we just have to live with it. Some of it is self-inflicted. Some of it is not. Some people in our estimation 
are living the life that they're living because of choices that they've made. It's true. Some people seem to have been raised in what we would call a great environment. And they still do evil things. That's sin. That's what sin does. So can we see the beauty in every fallen human being? Certainly we see the beauty in those who are oppressed and we want to help rescue. Do we see the beauty in the oppressor? We see the beauty despite the brokenness in the drug user? Do we see beauty in the drug dealer? We see beauty. Oh, I just find this even hard to say. We see beauty and brokenness and lostness and hopelessness in the trafficked. Do we see beauty in the traffickers? I don't want to. This is hard stuff. But I think it's the stuff of life that Jesus calls us to. He, he waded right in. He waded in and, and His disciples are watching and, and, and we as disciples are reading and He's calling us to do the same. There's a third and, and final observation for, for what it's worth here. Evil multiplies easily and rapidly. I think, and I loved what, what Doug and, and someone else talked about, efforts to, to help this person. Love what you said. Matt, you talked about that. And then I think that somewhere along the way, I'm just speculating because I'm human. They, they, were, they were more than happy to have this man live his life in the tombs. They, collectively, they. They were more than happy to have his food quite likely be the decayed or rotting food that was often sacrificed to the gods in a foreign land for the sake of the dead. They, they were happy that finally we don't have to listen to his moaning and his shrieking and the horrible noises that he makes because he's down the road in the caves and the tombs. They had tried to bind him with chains. It's an interesting word. The word bind in the Greek is one that is often used of uh, wild animals. A more accurate translation might be no one was able to tame him as you would tame perhaps a wild horse. Was he had he fallen into the category of just a mere animal because he was so animal-like. He's condemned, it seems, to, to live out his life alone amid 
the decaying bones and food for the dead with no one who loves him and no one to love. And if that is not an expression of ultimate brokenness caused by supreme evil collectively, I don't know what it is. And, and that's abundantly evident in the way that they respond to his healing. There is no party. There is no excitement. Imagine, they show up, Mark says, and they find him sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. Woohoo! And they don't. They don't celebrate. There's no sense of excitement for what God has done, whether they know God or not. There is no sense of excitement in this man's transformation. Let me share with you what one commentator says about this. <clears throat> He says, talking about difficult things in our own society, we might ask whether our society treats certain people like this demonized man. Do we beat and chain persons and drive them from our midst? so that they must fend for themselves in the contemporary equivalent of the, the tombs. They are usually the kind of broken persons we label as, as dangerous. And more often than not, we deny bearing any responsibility for their condition and shift all the blame for their problems onto them. We exonerate ourselves by making them the scapegoats for our society's ills. It is their problem, not ours. We allow them to hole up by themselves and their raging anguish in the graveyards of their lives. And we may put blind trust in the use of force, stone walls, iron bars, and police crackdowns to keep them away. Whew. The solutions to such problems are not more government programs, better housing, or prison reform though these may alleviate some pain. People who live in such lonely despair need to meet Jesus Christ and allow that encounter to transform their lives. Churches. Churches, and this one hurts. Churches, however, have fled the places where these troubled human beings gather to settle in more comfortable locations. Who will bring Christ to them? Who will bring Christ to them? My brothers and sisters, I hope that this journey through Mark is reminding us this is not a safe journey to follow Jesus. And Mark is painting some broad stroke themes for us 
that we need to sit with and, and allow the Holy Spirit to do perhaps some heart work in us over some of these things. Oh, may we, may we, in, in the path of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of Jesus, begin to open our hearts and our eyes to the possibilities that, that some of the human beings that we have assigned to the category of evil really are human beings. Human beings that are worthy of our prayers. Human beings that are worthy of our love. Human beings that are, yes, even worthy of our gentle and Christ-like confrontation for the sake of their good and God's glory. How do we navigate these waters? <laughs> we live in such a complex society. We, we navigate them, I think, by starting with the fact that, that this life that Jesus has called me to, it's not about me. It's about Him. I was living for me before He called me. He called me to, to, to leave that life and to follow Him. To places like the, the, the Gadarenes with, with crazy people who nobody wants to be with. Where is God prompting your heart and my heart to maybe make some, some room for those kinds of adventures? Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, our God, you know that I have a list of people who I sometimes unknowingly, but sometimes knowingly assigned to that category of evil and hopeless and beyond restoration. My guess is that we all do that from time to time. We lose sight of what it is you have called us to. We lose sight of, of, of who you love and why Jesus died. Would you fill us in those barren places with fruitfulness, with fresh water, would you overflow our hearts with love and gratitude for your grace so that it begins to splash onto the lives of those who need it as desperately as we once did. Let us be individuals. Let us be a collective group that we call Applewood Community Church that makes a difference in this world using and living into the kingdom of God values that bring life and transformation. For your glory we pray.